The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon is the second sermon in our series entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart. In this series, we are examining the life of David, who is the only man to be called a man after God's own heart in Scripture. And last time, we began to look at some of his characteristics. Today, we continue our introduction to the life of David, looking at several more aspects of his character, And ultimately, we will see that David was a man after God's own heart, primarily because he tried to do all of God's will in his life. He didn't get it all just right. He messed up, as men will do. But his overall focus in life was to try to do the will of God. I hope you'll join us today for the second part of the introduction to the life of David, a man after God's own heart. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Joys and sorrows, He knows 
This morning back to our thoughts that we had a few weeks ago on David. And remember in Acts the 13th chapter and verse 22 as Paul is preaching his first public message that's recorded here uh, at Antioch. And he's, he's preaching here and giving them a history of where uh, the nation of Israel had been and where they are today and how that God raised up Jesus Christ from the lineage of Judah and David uh, to be the Christ. And he says in verse 22, he says, When he had removed him, that is talking about Saul, the first king, when God had removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David the king, and we know many of his failings. We've seen, and we're going to read about him as we continue this series, other failings and, and almost failings, if you will, that occurred in his life, and yet God calls him a man after God's own heart. This man David would do to study, would he not? Now, understand that uh, Jesus Christ is our standard, not David. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate standard that we must measure ourselves by. They measuring themselves among themselves or comparing themselves among themselves are not wise, Paul said. We're not comparing ourselves to David. But what we can do from the life of David is we can take some encouragement as we walk in this life and realize that, that this book is not about supermen. This book is not about super Christians. <laughs> Sometimes, oh, Isaiah, whew, Elijah, man, David, they were super Christians. The Bible sets forth the truth about them, that they were men and women just like you and I. David was a man like you and I, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. So let's look at the life of David again. And remember we said that, you know, David was an imposing character. And just a quick review of our first message on this. We didn't... Uh, get quite through with talking about the characteristics of David. But uh, David was an imposing character. The first time his name appears is in the book of Ruth. And then the, first, the next time we read about him is in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. And, uh, uh, and, we, and we don't really even uh, hear a whole lot about his name or anything. He was, just, he was an afterthought to his father. <laughs> he was uh, the eighth son of eight sons. And, uh, and when Samuel came to uh, anoint a king at the insistence of God, when he got to the, uh, to the house of Jesse, and, and Jesse knew what he was there for, kind of, he said, show me all your sons, you know, and, and he paraded seven in front of him. Even Samuel said, oh, this must be him. And God said, no, 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 this is not him. He said, I don't judge like men judge. In 1 Samuel 16, in verse 7, after Samuel said, surely this must be him, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You remember Samuel had the only experience he'd had with the king in Israel was Saul. And you remember the description of Saul that you read about earlier in this chapter? He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. That means he was a tall, imposing figure. He was a man of war. He was a man who was strong. He, was, he looked like a king. 
He looked like a king. He would, you know, I, 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 you remember the movie Conan the Barbarian? <laughs> you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I, he, you know, this dates me. I know he's nobody, some of you younger folks probably don't even know who he is. You think he's the governor of California or something. But, uh, he, uh, but anyway, Arnold was, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger played that role and he looked like a king. Let's see, The Rock. We'll talk about uh, Dwayne Johnson today, right? Had the rock. He he looked like a king. And that's the way Saul looked. Everybody looked at, you know, if you came up on a crowd and you said, pick me out the king, you said, that must be him. He's standing head and shoulders above everybody else. He was taller than everybody else. He was imposing. That's the, that is the experience Samuel had had. Now, let me tell you, believe it or not, and Brother Buddy may disagree with me, but even preachers can get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> Did you know that? Even preachers are just men. The prophet here, Samuel was the, the, uh, the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And even he got it wrong. He said, surely this must be him. Eliab came forth and he said, oh, this has got to be him. He looks like him. And God said, listen to me, Samuel. Don't you look at his outward appearance. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care that he's tall and imposing. I don't care that he's, he's uh, built up and, and, and muscled up. I don't care that he's older, uh, the oldest child. What I care about is the heart. The heart. God doesn't look like we do. He doesn't look on people like we do. He looks upon the heart. And it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that... And I, I said this last time, by way of review, I just want to remind you, Jesse didn't even think David was in the game. Jesse just, he said, okay, there, Samuel's looking. It's, you know, my perception of reading this, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit, I can't tell you that this is exactly the way it happened, but, but you notice that, you know, God, God went to Samuel and said, listen, quit mourning over Saul. Quit wallowing around in your sorrow over what happened here. He said, I've rejected him. You get your horn, you fill your horn, that is, you know, the horn that he carried oil, and fill it with oil, and I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I, ha I have provided me a king among his sons. You remember what happened with Saul? The people asked for a king. The people wanted a king. Yeah. And we're told in one place that God gave them a king in his anger. He was not happy about that. He was not happy with the people. And Samuel even kind of had, he went and sort of apologized to God, if you will. And he said, don't you worry about it, Samuel. They've not rejected you. They're rejecting me. But I'm going to give them a king. And see, we're told that he, he gave them a king in his anger and he took him away in his wrath. They picked out the king, so to speak. There was, now I know God was involved in that. I understand. But they were the ones that clamored for a king. <laughs> But here we see that God says, I have provided me a king among his sons. There's someone here that I'm going to have you anoint. Well, he shows up down there at Bethlehem and goes to Jesse's house. And my impression of this is that it's sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod kind of thing. Like, you know, Jesse comes out and says, oh, wow, you're Samuel. Samuel, the judge, Samuel, the prophet. What's he doing in our house? And he has a, he has a horn of oil. <laughs> and, and we've already heard about the fiasco with the Amalekites where that uh, Saul was uh, very disobedient and, and the public, the public uh, 
a conflict between Saul and Samuel. And, you know, and, and I get this feeling Jesse's thinking, hmm, I remember that Samuel, I heard this, it must be true, Samuel told Saul that the kingdom had been taken away from, from him and, and, and that uh, it, there's already been problems. I, you know, hey, I may have a son that's going to be a king. This may be what he's here for. Samuel never said that exactly to him. But, or we don't read about it, but we know that that's why he was down there. And I think Jesse must have understood that. Now notice what happened. The seven oldest sons, he paraded them in front of him. You know why? Because Jesse looked at his sons and he said, oh, this must be, it'd be like as if I looked at mine and said, okay, I've got Austin and Mason. Oh, well, it couldn't be Mason. It's got to be Austin, you know? <laughs> and so, so Mason, if you would go out there to the farm and take care of the chickens for a while, me and Austin have got some business to deal with. <laughs> See, and that's what was happening here. And, and I don't believe that, by the way, but, uh, but that, that, is what, that is what he was dealing with here. He brought his seven oldest sons before Jesse. And, and notice where he said uh, in, uh, in verse 11, after all seven of them had come before Samuel, and, and the Lord said, said, the Lord, he's not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And it's almost like, you can see him here. He said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's still one more out there. There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. You know, it's like he said, Samuel, look, don't, don't, you know, you know it's not going to be him. I didn't even bring him out here. That's how disdainful his own father looked upon David's chances to be king. But remember what God said. Samuel said, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. Samuel learned a lesson, you see. God said, I look on the heart, not on the outward appearance. And, uh, and when he came before him, it says, he sent and brought him, verse 12, and he was ruddy and withered of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel did what the Lord said. Isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing? David wasn't... In fact, I think I told you before, you don't read the name David anywhere in the Word of God, and I don't know if it's anywhere in the historical record prior to this time. David is one of the most common names in, a, in the world today, but it wasn't prior to this time. And this young man was not an imposing figure uh, physically, but he was an imposing character in the mind of God because God was looking on the heart. And then we began to talk about his character. And we, we, we looked and saw that as, as, um, as we were told in, in the 13th chapter of Acts over there that he was a man after God's own heart. Well, what does that mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, first of all, we saw that he had a faithful heart. <laughs> He possessed absolute faith in God. Uh, the first time we met him was in the 17th chapter. To really get to know him was in the 17th chapter. And we saw there he had absolute faith in God. As a young 16 or 17 or 15 year old boy, he goes out to fight a giant. And he gives God all the, the praise for it. He relies upon God when the giant comes before him and says, you're a dog in my eyes. Yeah, they've, they've sent out dogs. They've sent out uh, young 
boys to fight me. He was insulted by that. And he said, you come to me with a spear and with a sword, but I come to you, giant, in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. He had absolute faith in God. He had a faithful heart. And then we saw he had a servant heart. He had a servant heart. I'm going to tell you, if I'd killed a nine-foot giant, I'd still be crowing about it. <laughs> if I was 16 years old and I killed a nine-foot giant, that's all I'd be talking about here at nearly 50 years old. I killed, I'm the guy that killed the giant, you know. I'm the giant killer. Chris the giant killer. I love that. You know, that sounds good. That's what I'd be called, you know. That's what I would be focusing on, I'm afraid. That's what in my flesh I would want to do, but not. And, and, and then when, he, when they went back in chapter 18, the next time we read about David, he's not lifting himself up and living in the last of luxury, he's back over there doing whatever Saul tells him to do and even going back and playing the harp for that old king again, just like he used to. You see, he knew the, one of the primary principles of leadership that if you want to lead, if you want to be able to lead, you've got to be able to serve. He had a servant heart. And now this morning, as we continue thinking about him, I want to look at a few other characteristics. He not only had a faithful heart and a servant heart, he had an humble heart. He had an humble heart. As we read about the life of David, we see that he never would take credit for all the successes that he enjoyed in his life. He never would. He always was giving credit to the Lord. Even in the, when we first saw him in the, in the matter of... Um, of Goliath in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. When he came down there and said to Saul in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. When Saul says, you're not able to go, he said, you're just a youth and he's a man of war from his youth. And then David didn't say, well, let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you what I've done. I've been working out. I've been running, you know. I've been out here doing various things. He did tell him about some successes in his life. He says, when I was keeping my father's sheep, he said, there, there came a bear and took a lamb, and, there, uh, and, and, I, and I killed him. There came a lion at one time, and they took a lamb, and I went out after him, and I smote him and delivered him. And he said in verse 37, he said, Moreover, David said, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear... He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He didn't talk about how good he was. He didn't say, hey, I did this. Look what I did. He said, the Lord did it. The Lord did it. The Lord blessed me to do this. You know, at least he could have taken credit for the bear and the lion, don't you think? No, not David, because he knew that whatever uh, it was within him that, uh, that he was able to take and kill that bear and kill that lion, it was the Lord that blessed him to do it. And then when he went down before the Philistine, and, and he, as we've already said, the Philistine began to insult him. He said, he said to him in verse 44, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. You know, I've never been challenged in that direct kind of way, but I've been challenged before. Verbally, somebody come to me and say, Let me tell you, 
I'm going to do this to you, or I'm going to do that to you. Maybe it wasn't in a physical way. Maybe it was in, in the courtroom, or maybe it was in, in work. Maybe it's in your social circles. Maybe you've had a confrontation yourself sometime in those settings, and someone comes up to you and challenges you, and what's your first reaction? Somebody says, well, I'm going to get you. Well, no, you're not. I'm going to get you, you know, and I'm going to, uh, you're going to feed me to the fowls. I'm going to feed you to the fowls, you know. I'm gonna, you know, it's the first thing we want to do is engage on a personal level, don't we? <laughs> We want to fight on a personal level. But not David. Not David. Not this man after God's heart. You know why? Because he was focused upon the fact that he really wasn't anything apart from God. The Philistine said, come to me. I'll give your flesh to the fowls. David said, listen, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. David didn't say, you know, I, I'd have been tempted to pull that little sling out and get a stone and say, hey, big boy, you see this? I won the championship back home in killing See, that's what, that's what I'd be tempted to do, and we all would, wouldn't we? But David didn't do that. David didn't, David didn't, tout his own successes. David was humble. He had an humble heart and he didn't take credit even at the end. He said in verse 47, well, verse 46, just keep reading here. I love this. He says, I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? So everybody can know how good I am? No, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I tell you, beloved, we may not be fighting a real giant out there, but there are giants in our lives, or they're not. We're fighting constantly in the world. Sometimes it's a fight against ourselves, but often it's a fight against the circumstances and the people out there that are, uh, uh, that are opposed to the kingdom of God. And let me just say to you that everything that we do should be done with a purpose of proving that there is a God in Israel today. <laughs> there is a God in the kingdom of God that when they say, you know, when they say, where do you go to church? I go to church at Zion Primitive Baptist Church and that they might say based on our actions you know what there must be something there <laughs> because these people don't act the same way as everybody else everybody else around us over in the second chapter i mean the second samuel the seventh chapter after a life after a long time let me put it that way he'd lived many more years at this point and David had become the king, in fact, as opposed to just having been anointed. He was actually, had, Saul had been defeated, and he was sitting on the throne. And, and we won't go into all the circumstances of chapter 7. We'll, we'll talk about that, hopefully, in this series when we get there. But God, through Nathan, told him some things about how that his kingdom would be established forever that the throne of his kingdom would be set up forever. And of course, we know now that that means that Christ is ruling and reigning today on the throne of his father, David. And in verse 18 of 2 Samuel 7, after hearing all these, these things, we read, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? He didn't say, Lord, I knew this was coming. 
I've been working toward this all my life, and I knew you were going to recognize this at some point and how, how important I am to your kingdom and how important it is that you work through me. That's not what David did. David said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? You know, we can translate that over to today, can we not? We, we can even bring it down to here where we are today. I'm so thankful for Aunt Lorraine and Brother Tim. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for the part that I've been blessed to play in the revival of this place right here. But don't you ever get the idea that you're the necessary linchpin in the plan of God. <laughs> you know, Elijah, I mean, uh, yeah, Elijah got to thinking that at one point, didn't he? He said, Lord, there's just nobody left. I'm it. And, and Lord, you got to help me because once I'm gone, your kingdom's over. <laughs> you know, it's end game. Here, we're done. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're seeking to take my life. You're letting this happen. That's basically what he was saying. Lord, you're letting all this happen. Why are you doing it? And you know when I'm gone, you're going to have to close up shop. <laughs> you know that in, in the case of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, there was a chance, there was a point at, at one point, there was a chance at one point that I and my family wouldn't even be here. <laughs> And not to go into my experiences and all that, but some of you know the story that there was a chance before the church or as it was coming back, I was mistaken on what the Lord, what I thought the Lord was wanting me to do. And there was a chance we wouldn't even be living in this area. And I don't believe for a minute that if I had moved away as I thought that I was going to do, that this whole thing would have just collapsed. <laughs> you know, can you imagine feeling that way? So, well, oh man, if I'd have moved to Arab, this whole thing would just be gone. No, I'll tell you what would have happened. The Lord was working in this. The Lord was here in this. And here's what would have happened in my mind as I, as I speculate about it, is I'd have been sitting off three hours away from here, uh, up there laboring in a place where I shouldn't be, and looking back and seeing this revival and seeing somebody, Brother Neil, Brother Tim, Brother Buddy, Brother, Brother Luke, I don't know who it might have been, somebody down here reaping the bounty of the revival and the blessings of God and sitting up there thinking, man, Maybe I missed the boat. <laughs> and I would have, you see. Now, don't also misunderstand what I'm saying. We are all, we're all essential. We're all important. Each one of you is important to this church. If you leave, there's an empty space here. You're important in that sense. But you're not the necessary linchpin that's holding all this together. You see... David didn't feel that way either. He didn't say, oh God, I knew you were going to recognize how good I was and what all I've done and bless me this way. No, he said, who am I, God, oh Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast bought, brought me hitherto? He had an humble heart. He had an humble heart. He also had a repentant heart. We won't go into all the details of it, but just remember that whenever we see David's sin, he always acknowledged it before the Lord. And of course, we all know the, the major sin of his life, the one that stands out above all others, is the sin he committed with Bathsheba. And in, in the 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter, I'm sorry, the 12th chapter, after that sin is brought to his mind by Nathan the prophet, and he's called on the carpet by him. David didn't try to justify himself. He didn't try to make excuses. 
In verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And if you kind of turn over, you know, one of the beautiful things about studying the life of David is that so many times we have access to what was going on in his mind because he wrote so many of the Psalms. And in Psalm 51, which he wrote after this great sin with Bathsheba came to light, he says this in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He tells in verse 4, or in verse 3, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Child of God, do you understand that's what true repentance is about? It's about acknowledging your transgressions and remembering that they're, they're all, you are a sinner. He said, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You may offend me, but you've sinned against God. He may have offended Uriah and offended Bathsheba and broken the vows of their marriage, but his sin was against God. But he acknowledged it. He acknowledged it. He, he, had, a, he had a repentant heart. Whenever he sinned, you know, Saul, when he sinned, he said, oh, well, it was the people, Lord. It was people, uh, Samuel. It was, you know, you didn't come, Samuel. You weren't here on time. Oh, I, I was going to do this for the Lord anyway. He was constantly making excuses. And the things he did in the scheme of things don't appear to be worse. They actually appear to be less bad than that which David did. David committed adultery and then murder to cover it up. But I'll tell you this, David acknowledged his sin. David also not only had an humble heart and a repentant heart, but he had a grateful heart. He had a grateful heart. In the 30th Psalm, David says this. He, he starts off acknowledging how grateful he must be. He says, verse 1, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast made, not made my foes to rejoice over me. And he continues through all of this Psalm talking about how God has blessed him. And he said in verse 11, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. He was always so grateful to God for the blessings that God had given him. Psalm 103, the whole psalm is about his thanksgiving to God. He says, he's, he wasn't shy about it either, was he? He said in Psalm 35 and verse 38, he said, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Look with me quickly to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice this man. You know, this doesn't always, in our society, we, you know, men are, you know, women are, it's okay for you to be emotional, you know. You women can cry, you can be emotional, you can hug each other, and you can, you know, you can weep on each other's shoulders, but not men. Men can't do that. You know, we got to shake hands, and we got to say, be very, you know, very reserved, and so forth. Well, you know, I, I don't, I'm not advocating that this, we should be doing this in church, don't get me wrong, but, but, uh, but I have said before to Aunt Lorraine that I feel like we're Pentecostal primitive Baptists. <laughs> 
Sometimes I just want to shout, okay? Sometimes I just want to get, I, sometimes I have to weep when I'm here in church. It's, you know, it's not an emotion, but let me say this, that any, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion you can't feel. <laughs> if there's no emotion involved, if, there, if it doesn't stir you up knowing what we have in Christ, then, uh, uh, then, then I don't give it, I don't want it, okay? <laughs> he, look at what he did, verse chapter 6, and, and, and for lack of time, let's just... Uh, um, let, let me. Just, the, the story is this: the Ark of the Covenant had been gone for many years, and finally they were they were getting it back. And there was problems. This is where Uzzah touched the cart and that was being carried. They tried to do it in the wrong way, but that's not the point today. But finally, they went to get the Ark and bring it back to the, to, to uh, Jerusalem in the right way. In verse thirteen, it says it was so that when they when they bear, when they that bear the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and he was girded with a linen ephod. <laughs> and so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Notice what he's doing here. And, and, and if you read the context, and we'll get to it at some point if the Lord blesses us to continue on this series, he's so thankful He's so thankful that the ark of the Lord is finally coming home that he's dancing. And he didn't just get out there and, you know, just kind of like, you know, some of us cool guys are there. Oh, we'll just kind of look a little bit. Dang. You know, he got out there and he, he, started, he started dancing with all of his might out there in front, of, in, in front of, as we would say, in front of God and everybody. <laughs> he wasn't shy about it. He was happy, happy to be able to do it. And then finally, he had an obedient heart. You know, David, he, missed, he, had, he made mistakes, but the overall direction of his life was one of obedience. One of obedience. He was obedient to a fault. He absolutely loved God's law. In Psalm 119, look, look at verse 97. Oh, how, let's back up to it. Oh, how I love thy law, here he says. It is, it is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. I didn't learn this on my own, he says. I learned it through your commandments. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are, are my meditation. I hope you have godly teachers. I hope but Brother Buddy and I are godly teachers. I pray that we are teaching you in a godly way. But I'll tell you this, uh, the testimonies of God are the best teacher you'll ever have. He said, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Look back in verse, uh, verse 47. David says, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. <laughs> in verse 2 and 3, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart that do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. He was obedient to a fault. David, David wrote about half of the Psalms. The ones I've counted, I've counted the ones that were told that he wrote. There were 73 for sure. And there may be 74 or more of the 150 Psalms that he wrote. He wrote nearly half for sure and probably more. He had an obedient heart. So let's sum it up quickly as we close. David's character, the characteristics of David, who was a man after God's own heart, he had a faithful heart. He had a servant heart. He had an humble heart. He had 
a repentant heart. He had a grateful heart and he had an obedient heart. And I think perhaps the best way, you know, someone asked, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, let me just sum it up the way that Paul summed it up in Acts chapter 13 and verse 29. We read that as our text. He said, I have chosen me out David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, listen to this, who shall fulfill all my will. You say, preacher, how can I have a heart after God's own heart? I believe that's the summation right there. Are you willing to fulfill all His will? Are you willing to follow Him wherever He leads? Are you willing to sacrifice the things in your life that don't match up with what His Word says that they should be? Are you willing to fulfill all His will? You don't have to have a heart after God's heart to go to heaven. You just have to have a new heart. The Lord is, does that through His Spirit. But if you want to walk with Him here, then you need to have a heart that fulfills all His will. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.